0: It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio and also Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Well, it's the end of another working week. A short week makes the week go fast. Friday, the 22nd of April for 2022. Coming up in just a moment, Rich Harvey, of course, is here from Property Buyer and we're going to be looking at past real estate performance and how that informs the present, and we'll also look at property cycles. But first, let's have a look at the weather. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au. All right, and in Sydney, expecting a few showers with 22 degrees. Melbourne, partly cloudy. It's going to be cool there with just 18 degrees. Brisbane expecting a shower or two with 27, and in Perth, some morning smoke again, and then fine conditions and a high of 28 degrees. Across every state, city, and town of Australia, the Real Estate Podcast. Well, earlier this week, we talked about a woman being punched in the face in a Perth nail salon after asking a woman next to her to wear a mask. One of the news stories this morning from Chicago has left me asking, why would you do that a passenger on a flight continually baited the former world boxing champion mike tyson who won 50 out of his 58 fights So the man continued to annoy Tyson with verbally continuing to have a crack at him until in the end, unlike the Will Smith slap, Tyson punched the man. I mean, this is a former world boxing champion who infamously bit part of Evander Holyfield's ear off in that world heavyweight fight in 1997. If you're a millennial and you might not have seen that fight, it is one to watch for sure. It's a bruising encounter of Mike Tyson out to win at all cost. But back to the man on the plane. He was seen left with blood on his head and soon after Tyson departed the flight. We feature market updates, interviews and trends. It's your real estate podcast for breakfast. Well, it's often said that the past performance is no guarantee of future performance in financial markets and in politics, for that matter, as we think about the general election. But how does this statement measure up in the property market after a national property boom? And what might it mean for your property strategy in 2022 and beyond? Well, of course, it is a Friday. And to help us unpack all of this, Rich Harvey, CEO and founder of Property Buyer, au is back this morning and a very good morning to you, Rich.
1: Good morning, Craig. Great to be with you.
0: Welcome back to the Real Estate Podcast. I understand that you had a pretty relaxing Easter.
1: Yeah, it was a great Easter, thanks. Craig, it was really nice. Got out in the sunshine and caught up with some family and friends, got down to the beach and yeah, just enjoyed having a bit of a holiday at home this time.
0: Absolutely. You cannot beat an Easter long weekend break for relaxation. So, Rich, how does this statement, does past performances leave clues? And more importantly, does this measure up when thinking about the property market in
1: 2022? Craig, that's a great question. And what I'd like to talk about is how we can use that past performance to your advantage. I mean, at its simplest level, we've got decades of figures available to show that as the population grows, as productivity improves, and as incomes rise over time, then we're going to see people's wealth rise in the economy. And over time, because that happens, people tend to pay more for well-located residential land. And so, we see property prices rise. So, the theory goes that in popular, you know, highly sought after land, locked locations, there's going to be increasing demand for housing, but only a limited supply available of land. And that's where you see property prices appreciate fastest of all, well above the rate of inflation. So that all makes logical sense, but you know, do the numbers fit the narrative? So I'd like to just discuss a very brief example in the Brisbane market, if I may, just And talk about, you know, that sort of 10 kilometre ring around Brisbane, where you've got suburbs like Inogra, Alderley, Newmarket, Wilston, Windsor, Wollolan, East Brisbane, Cooparoo and Norman Park. And of all those suburbs, the strongest performer since 1993 was in fact Wilston. And that had a capital growth rate of 800%. So that means you've got a compounding annual growth of around 8% per annum. Now, that particular suburb is really filled with a lot of medical professionals because it's close to the Royal Brisbane Hospital. It's got some great city views. It's only three Ks from the CBD. And there's also a train station that links Wilston to Central. And it only takes about 11 or 10 minutes to get there. And it's got really a nice village style atmosphere to it. So, look, in summary, it's a great suburb. It's plenty to like about it. And then when you pick the, the lowest capital growth suburb um, of that group of 10, you'll find that the suburb of Albion has increased 600%, which gives a compounding annual growth rate of 7.5% per annum. So why is it slightly lower? Well, parts of Albion were actually prone to flash flooding and there was a fair bit of disruption from construction projects in recent years. But the outlook is, is likely to improve because it's going to benefit from the, the Sydney Olympics. So what I'm saying is that you've actually got a range of suburbs, um, and you've got to pick very carefully which one's going to perform the best.
0: Yeah, it just comes down to that research is just so critical. And a really interesting equation in all of this is how does a market cycle and when you finally decide to buy influence the end result?
1: The market cycles and your starting point does make a difference. You know, in Australia, property cycles tend to occur at contrasting times depending on which state you're in. So, the resource states, which are Western Australia and Northern Territory, and you compare them with the more service-driven economies like New South Wales and Victoria, they tend to have different market cycles. But over the long run, all capital cities have been good performers, but the starting point does have an impact. So, for example, if you decided in the 1990s to use to pick Sydney and you invested in Sydney, you would have got fantastic returns. But since 2003, Melbourne and particularly Hobart have been fantastic performers as well. So you've got to look to catch the wave as well. But for most investors, it generally takes at least two full cycles to generate meaningful wealth. In that first cycle, which is about seven to 10 years, you're generally building up that initial equity and then you can leverage that into the second cycle and develop a more diversified portfolio of properties but it's really important as an investor to be patient you know property investment can be a little bit boring craig at times it's it's just you know you're waiting for something spectacular to happen and it is a bit of a grind and you do have to be patient to to wait for that capital growth to occur but a couple of key points i'd just like to make here on on your question is Taking action is actually one of the most important decisions of all. And it's time in the market that really does a lot of the heavy lifting. You can try to get your entry just right, but even more important is hanging on for the, for the ride. Secondly, markets move in cycles and, and this impacts all suburbs and, and all locations to some degree. And the annual growth rates, while they appear to be to be more similar and different, over time, these seemingly trivial differences in capital growth can add up to quite a surprising difference due to the effect of compounding. So it is important that you do pick the right suburb up front.
0: Yes. Yeah, so looking at that all important performance factor, I'm wondering just how much reliance should investors give
1: to past capital growth rates as an indicator of future performance? Look, it's one indicator, Craig. It's not the only indicator. I mean, I think some people get paralysis of analysis and they look at all the data and try to marry it up and and do regression analysis. And they want it statistically significant to three decimal places. If a suburb does have a consistent history of capital growth, it is a good indicator. It's not the only one. And again, going back to the Brisbane example, since 1993, some of the top performing suburbs in Brisbane have generally been dominated by what we call blue chip suburbs. So places like Balimba, New Farm, Hawthorne, Hamilton and Paddington, for example. But one of the shortcomings of of just relying purely on on past data is the way in which median prices at the suburb level can be distorted. And they're distorted by renovations and home improvements. They can be distorted by rezoning or potentially changes in the composition of the dwelling stock, like you get more units uh, as opposed to houses. So when you think about it, using a suburb or a postcode is a very arbitrary method um, to talk about property prices. So there's also an element of postcode snobbery, if you like, and there's no like logical reason why property located on one street, but across the road, you've got a, a boundary line and then that, that house across the boundary line in a different suburb should perform differently. I mean, sometimes it can be even the name of a suburb. Like in Sydney, a beachside suburb on the northern beaches called Harbord was changed to Freshwater, which sounds a lot nicer. But more to the point, Freshwater is one of the most searched suburbs on the northern beaches. It's got a beautiful village feel to it, gorgeous beach, great for families, and you're only you know, 25 minutes or 20 minutes to the CBD. So just to sum up, I think on that question, you know, you can use growth rates to some degree, but it's not the only measure. And
0: talking of growth rates, how important are local factors for
1: the capital growth? This is a perfect example of of how my, of why you've got to look at local factors. I can't emphasise enough how much local factors make a huge difference in, in what you choose. So it could be things like schools, it can be access to, to amenities, Like, let me give you another example. In Brisbane, Mansfield State High School catchment is a huge local factor, which has seen a huge performance in land values and and property prices rising within the suburb of Wishart where median house prices in the suburb rose about 150% between 2006 and 2021. So there was a lot of interest from Chinese buyers that saw uh, Sunnybank become a, a really powerful performing location between 2011 and 2018, where you got housing prices rising from half a million dollars to 836. But then, since that time, you've seen a crackdown in foreign investment, and you've had a massive hike in the the stamp duty surcharge for those foreign buyers. You've seen a drop off in international tourists, and that's had a really strong cooling effect on the local market. So, even though that that suburb was nice, you've got to look at what those local those local factors are. The other thing is also areas that are flood prone. They can really impact adversely on the property market and become very, you know, very very negative impact. But equally, you know, there can be some other big infrastructure input into an area. So an example of that is in Borkham Hills in Sydney, when the M2 freeway was was opened up, property prices jumped 30% in one year. And that was simply because it improved access to the city, knocked off 15, 20 minutes and really opened up that area. So similar thing with trains as well. You've got like the Metro line in Sydney and there's other areas happening on the Gold Coast and Brisbane as well. So they're all things to look for at, at a local level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As far as infrastructure, if you can get ahead of that, boy, that is money in your pocket. So right now is Friday, the 22nd of April. For buyers listening to Rich Harvey, what advice would you give these buyers who might be thinking about buying a home or investment property in
1: 2022? Well, as always, first thing to do, Greg, is go and get your finance approved, and make sure you've got the money to buy the property, and you've got your deposit ready to go. And I think just sit back and get yourself a strategy. Um, don't just jump onto real estate and domain and, and start looking at properties in your price range. Have a think about you know how to future-proof your needs, and then you've got to start analysing median prices at a suburb level. That's just sort of your your first starting point. But you've got to understand, as we talked about, those local nuances, and that local expertise is really going to be important. One of the most powerful buying demographic trends is families. So look for family-appropriate housing in well-serviced, landlocked locations, and they're going to do well over time. Areas where you perhaps you'd like to live yourself or where you can see a renter staying there very, very long term. And those suburbs are going to have really attractive local amenities, close to shops, close to education hubs, good transport connections and good recreation facilities. And if you've got a, perhaps a shorter time frame in mind, you can look at other local factors like a gentrification play. What I mean by that is suburbs that are going from, say, an industrial kind of zoning or industrial field to a more hip and groovy area, or there's a potential zoning change, or there's a particular school zone that's, um, that's really uh, prominent, or a noticeable change in the demographic of an area. And the last thing I'd recommend is don't forget the X factors. You know, we've, we've got a, a couple of years where we've had COVID that's dramatically uh, affected the market and there'll be other X factors in the years ahead. So just uh, bear that in mind. But again, research hard and, uh, and don't take shortcuts.
0: Yeah, hip and groovy areas. That's where we want to live for sure. As always, a lot of great information. Rich, have yourself a fantastic weekend.
1: Look forward to catching up next week. Thank you so much, Craig. Always a pleasure.